Hello, everybody, and welcome to Nintendo Week for the end of week of September 16th through 22nd. I'm your host, Colin McIsaac, and as always, I'm joined by Alex Plant. I'm missing the Muppets premiere, and all I'm getting is this lousy podcast. Oh, I really want to see that. Uh, and Ben Lamoureux. I was not planning to watch the Muppets premiere. You have no soul. <laughs> this week we've got a nice little heap of news for you, but it was a little bit of a lighter week, so we should be able to get some nice discussions that aren't rushed out of it. Uh, really dig in. And after the break, depending how we're doing on time, we may take a few Mystery House questions from you listeners, but uh, unfortunately we may have to have a shorter episode this week, so we'll, we'll see when the time comes. We'll start off this week with the biggest story. Star Fox Zero has been delayed to 2016. Miyamoto says they needed more time to polish the game, specifically mentioning cutscenes, level design, and the quote, unprecedented discovery that we want players to experience in the game by using two screens. I have a feeling we all agree that this is a good move. Yeah, I mean, Nintendo's been talking a lot lately about how Star Fox is one of these games that's really going to show off uh, what the two-screen experience could be, and we were fairly underwhelmed by it at E3. So, mm -hmm. you know, if, if that's their big check out how awesome the gamepad is title, then yeah, they, they definitely need to spend a little more time polishing it. Yeah, yeah even I, who actually rather enjoyed Star Fox Zero, despite uh, your guys' sort of differences of opinion... Um, I still think the actual utility of the two screens is lacking, um, specifically because the, the the times at which it's most useful are times that they force it on you. And so I'd love to see them kind of find a way to, to integrate it a little better if they're going to make it such a big part of the game. Yeah, and I mean, I think I think the general E3 consensus, not just from us, but from most, I think it's safe to say, outlets who played it, was that the gamepad controls felt strange, they were awkward, they were not that intuitive. So I'm glad that they're that they're perfecting those. I suppose maybe the question is whether it really needed a delay to fix those rather than doubling down on them in the current development process. It is important to note that this makes their holiday lineup, which was once headlined by Zelda U, now exclusively Xenoblade Chronicles X and Animal Crossing Amiibo Festival. Colin, so, you're forgetting about Devil's Third, the biggest Wii U title ever? Oh, excuse me, I'm sorry. Couldn't forget about Devil's Third. Also the game of the year? A game of this year. <laughs> <laughs> I like that word, I'm going to use it in the future. Uh, so, what do you guys think of that? That's probably their weakest holiday lineup since, I don't know, 2008? Maybe it's got to be weird. 2008 wasn't even that bad because despite Wii Music not really doing that great, it still sold like two to three million copies and people were still kind of interested in it. It just kind of didn't live up to anyone's expectations, really. Here it's like it's just barren. There's just nothing there. Well, there is Xenoblade Chronicles X, which may be from this holiday push. I mean, now that's basically the big headlining Wii U game they've got. So maybe they'll promote it more. Maybe they'll get more people interested in Xenoblade. But I'm kind of thinking that maybe it means that they are sort of cutting their losses on this holiday season, saying, look, we just don't have anything. And moving on, maybe doubling down on Wii U next year, I tend to think more that they're uh, focusing on making more games cross-gen for the NX's launch. Maybe that includes Star Fox. Well, you know, a big problem with uh, basically just saying, you know, this holiday season's over, we don't have anything big, is they already did that for the summer. You know, they didn't release a single first-party yeah. game all summer, so you, you, it's it's really frustrating. They did you know? release Yoshi's Woolly World in Europe. Yeah, in Europe. But, you know, for North American audiences, it's can, it's too. been a really... Wii U titles have been sparing over the second half of the yeah. and will continue to be sparing over the second half of this yeah. year, which is really unfortunate because, you know, they were really pushing what a great lineup of quality games they had this year, and now we're seeing two of the biggest ones delayed to next year. Well, and even even prior to the summer, we just had, what, Kirby's Rainbow Curse and, and Splatoon? So it's, yeah. it's been the whole year. Now, 
something also worth considering is that does give them another opportunity to push Splatoon heavily, which, I mean, has been a great success, to push Super Mario Maker heavily, which is... Sales numbers aren't looking terribly great. It's actually. a modest success, given probably the, the low level of effort that went into it. I think they could do a lot more to push the game and promote it to people who don't already have a Wii U. And maybe we'll see that. I tend to think that we won't, just given Nintendo and their marketing. But I do think it does have a lot of potential to be positioned as their big holiday game, even if it came out in fall. Yeah, yeah, honestly, I think that's about their only option at this point is to take, you know, <laughs> Splatoon and Mario Maker, like you said, and and really just promote the hell out of them mm-hmm. because uh, yeah. not many people are going to rush out to buy a Wii U for Xenoblade. I mean, there's there's some who will, but it's a very, very right. small niche And we audience. have seen a lot of uh, Mario Maker levels and things being shared on, like, Facebook, for example. I've seen some crazy, absolutely insane levels um, with these crazy speedruns done on them. Mm-hmm. That kind of social traffic, I think, can really help get people aware of Mario Maker and interested in Mario Maker. And that's something that they should try to push more. Um, Nintendo doesn't understand the internet, so maybe they won't. But You know, they've been trying, though. Like, they teamed yeah. up with Facebook specifically to promote the yeah. game. So, um, yeah. Which is I, I odd, because nothing they should really do. came out of that. It was yeah. really just that the level yeah, creators... They made a, a series of videos, but then they just kind of uploaded them to the yeah, they... uh, the Nintendo YouTube page, and that was it. They didn't really make much of a big deal out yeah. of it. Yeah, they, Facebook did not do much to promote it at all. Nintendo did not mu- do much to promote it on Facebook, ironically. <laughs> I don't know. But I guess sort of bringing it back to the topic of their holiday lineup, I mean... Did we really expect Star Fox Zero was going to push a lot of systems anyway? No, I mean that's the thing. Yeah. I think it's I think it's good that they're acknowledging that Star Fox Zero is not going to carry their holiday lineup and just saying, well, look, as long as it's not going to do anything for us sales wise, we might as well make sure it's a good game. Yeah, right. It was absolutely the right decision. It's just yeah. still, you know, a little bit frustrating. But I think if it leads to a better product, then absolutely it's the right decision. Yeah. All right. Super Mario Maker debuted at number one in Japan and boosted Wii U sales from 10,000 that week to 20,000. Don't get excited, that's still a really low number. But it looks <laughs> Although like maybe it, not in Japan. <laughs> maybe not for their console market. But it looks like Nintendo was expecting it to sell higher than it did. Media Create reports that it only sold through about 56% of its copies at launch. Other recent games like Splatoon and Fire Emblem Awakening sold well over 90% of their shipments. But on the lighter side, players have uploaded over 1 million courses in the game. So if you have it, and if, or if you want it, there is no dearth of content. Yeah, I never imagined this being a fast seller. I, f- I feel yeah. like, you know, just by design, it's one of those word-of-mouth sorts of sellers. Yeah, it's going to catch on and gain traction more slowly. And it, that sort of falls in line with what we were saying earlier about uh, how it's getting traction on social media, and people mm-hmm. are, are talking about really interesting levels. And, and so that's where I see this game going. I don't know if it's going to be some, like, mega million. I don't even know if it'll hit a million, to be totally honest with you. But it's it's going to be a long tail seller, as long as Wii U momentum just doesn't drop off a cliff. Yeah. Wii U has momentum? Uh, uh, I mean, it already it, dropped off a cliff. <laughs> uh, the, it, the momentum is slow, but it could, could, it could be much slower. Right. More playable characters are coming to Hyrule Warriors that haven't been announced yet. Is it finally happening, guys? The wonderful hunk of pointy-haired man that we've all been waiting to have in Hyrule Warriors? Um, Are we finally getting Waluigi? Where? Groose. <laughs> well, Groose would be acceptable. Let loose the Groose? Yes, I mean Groose. Um, 
Well, we've, we've talked in the past about characters we'd like to see join, including uh, Vati, Medley, Makar, and a couple others. But are there any burning standouts you guys would like to see that we haven't talked about before? Tot. Just lots of tot everywhere. <laughs> tot? <laughs> Who's tot? Is that, is that the, the snot-nosed one? No, it's the, isn't it the, the dancing guy. Oh, tot. Oh, from uh, Majora's Mask? Wind Waker. Okay. The dancing guy. He's by the, uh, he teaches you the, the sun song. Oh! Whatever it's called in Wind Waker, Song of Passing. <laughs> <laughs> I could see a, a top costume. That'd be interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's a top costume. Um, man, that's out of left field. I have to think of it a little bit. Not Skull Kid. No, really. Honestly, I don't think Skull Kid. Skull Kid specifically would have a very interesting move set. Okay. Maybe if you you know made it just Majora's Mask and and straight I up mean, the th- demon itself. Well, there's not- good potential there for like some of the strong attacks. Yeah, um, that's true. Like the sort of like ones that get like cool cutscenes and stuff. I mean, I don't know. I think if they can make up cool attacks for like Tingle and invent a new character and, you know, get get all these crazy Agatha, for yeah. Christ's sakes, then, you know, Skull Kid yeah, but could. Doesn't Agatha have this like huge fan following in Japan? I think that's where that came from. Fire trucks. Skull Kid. Well, yeah, but I mean, Skull lots Kid's of people appreciate Skull Kid. For but sure. I, really? More popular? I would say so globally. I can't imagine that Agatha is... Maybe. But anyway, point is, like, what other characters do we want? Well, I've got a couple ideas if, if we want to get the ball rolling. Run with it. All right. Uh, Kaipora Gaibora could be cool. <laughs> oh, yeah. Rauru and turn into an owl and stuff flying around. All of around. his attacks are just asking if you want to hear that again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think that could be really interesting. Uh, maybe Beetle could be neat. Um, although they should probably just put him as a shopkeeper in the shop because they have one. Um, uh, maybe Guru Guru or the Happy Mask Salesman. Happy Mask Salesman would be would be interesting simply because of the the diversity of the masks for Majora's yeah. Mask. Yeah, it'd be really interesting to see what they come up with. And I was thinking uh, Guru Guru could do a lot of cool stuff with like the the music box and like summoning tornadoes and 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 sort of weather stuff could be really interesting. I think you're missing um, the most important character of all. Mm-hmm. The hand in the toilet. Ah, yes. Oh, you, you already made that joke, Ben. Nice <laughs> try. And then Saria, but we already have the Deku stick and stuff. Yeah, so I was I was actually really disappointed that gone. they didn't take the opportunity to include her because yeah, because agreed. while I like Lana a lot, like I didn't feel like she was the right fit for that. She had like four weapons, so it's not well, and, like and all, her other weapons are so much more appropriate to her theme. And then you have yeah. this like random like water earthy themed weapon. Thing. Yeah. So, but too late now, right? Um, I could also see more classic characters make it in. Um, old man like old man old man would be a good one um agonim from yeah i was kind of thinking agonim as well mm-hmm. yeah or uh maybe like yuga or ravio or more recent characters yeah ravio would be interesting um especially if his little bird friend had anyway i like ravio ravio's fun uh ravio his moveset would would be very quirky i think because mm-hmm. i don't know you see you watch how he's animated in a link between worlds and he's very offbeat yeah the producer of Hyrule Warriors Legends also revealed that it won't support stereoscopic 3D and any of the original models of 3DS. You can only play it in 3D if you have a new 3DS or a new 3DS XL. Frankly, I'm surprised Hyrule Warriors is going to be playable on a 3DS at all. That's <laughs> that's a pretty performance-intensive game. Not yeah. not so much because, you know, it's a super visually 
like stimulating or, or high detail game. It's just there's so much going on at once. Yeah. So many characters. I imagine the draw distance is going to be pretty pretty toned down. Well, I think we've we've seen from the initial videos that there there aren't going to be nearly as many enemies on screen at once. So that's already a huge compromise. Um, it's amazing, like I said, that mm-hmm. they, they're even getting on there in the first place. Yeah. We've heard a lot of rumors over the years about a canceled Kid Icarus game for the Wii, and Unseen64 was able to dig up some info. Nintendo asked Factor 5, the company behind Star Wars Rogue Squadron, to create a new Kid Icarus game. They sent them a character model for Pit, which was pretty much ripped from his appearance in Brawl, but Factor 5 instead made a prototype for a darker game featuring an adult Pit. Uh, I really recommend you guys check out the full video. You can find it on Gamnesia, on YouTube. Um, It's super informative and really interesting. Ultimately, though, the project was canceled. It sounds like it was mostly a result of this darker direction with the adult pit and everything, which Nintendo did not seem to appreciate, Uh, especially when they sent them, you know, the whole, here's what pit looks like. Yeah, inevitably, I think it was the right decision. Um, I think Kid Icarus is an old enough franchise and a franchise that since they'd already given it the spotlight in brawl was not one that they really needed to be tampered with from a sort of visual identity perspective mm-hmm. certainly not making it an adult game when it's already this kind of sort of niche nintendo yeah quirky game that would completely change the tone i think of kid Icarus, which i am not in favor of i think sakurai actually wound up doing a really great job uh, even if even if the mechanics didn't really resemble the original Kid Icarus at all. Right, the tone of it was great. Yeah, well, I mean, I think some of the story concepts in this were really, really cool. Um, there's one particular standout to me where Pitt is banished from Skyworld in his younger years for some alleged crime against the heavens. Uh, like, it starts out in Skyworld, you're playing as, like, the kid Pitt, um, and then he's banished, time passes, it's kind of like Ocarina of Time, then you become adult Pit, and he spends uh, many years in the overworld training and becoming this this more of an earthen warrior. Like, he's more hardened, he's a bit less of an innocent and energetic boy. Um, but ultimately, I think it's for the better that this fell through, like you said. Um, I'd love to see some future games take some story cues from a concept like that, but, you know, it's so radically different from Nintendo's vision for the series. I don't think it would have been healthy for anyone to see that project through to its end. Right, and especially since it had been so long since we had a Kid Icarus game, and then to, you know, change it so drastically. I mean, that is a tactic that you could use if you want to rebrand it and establish a new audience. But, you know, Nintendo is... Is Nintendo's not super interested in letting other people completely rebrand their established IP. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that would have worked if they had not brought Pit back for Brawl. If it had been dormant and then they revamped it with this, that would have worked fine, I think. Right, but Brawl but, created this expectation. Exactly. Colin, you brought up a, an interesting point about how they, the story treatment actually was, was one of the most interesting pe- parts, and I think a lot of that has to do with this really kind of radical difference in the way Western studios approach lore and consistency versus Japanese studios, and in particular Nintendo, where the story really, really, really takes a backseat. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, we saw with Metroid Prime, Retro Studios was really careful not to tamper with the Metroid story that people knew, and they would just kind of added another chapter onto it. And they were very faithful to the Metroid universe that had been built up to that point. Mm-hmm. So I, I would actually like to see Nintendo pitch their uh, less known IP or or IP that they don't know what to do with to studios like this, uh, especially. Yeah, Mock Rider. Like the ones that are really ripe for, for exploration from a lore perspective. Um, of course, I don't know if current Nintendo will do anything like that. They reined Metroid back in to the SPD group from uh, Retro, but... I mean, anything's possible. 
Former Xbox head Robbie Bach was asked about Nintendo's low sales this generation, and he responded by saying he'll never count Nintendo out of the game. He echoed a story we heard from Peter Moore a few weeks ago, saying that Microsoft thought Nintendo was done for after GameCube, and they were shocked when Wii dominated the games market early on. He pointed out that of the big three console makers, Sony is a consumer electronics company, Microsoft is a PC electronics company, and Nintendo, on the other hand, is a toy company. And he thinks that that's really the heart of what makes Nintendo stand out now with their games and their IP, and that that's what could really benefit them moving forward. Well, you know, we've seen them uh, leverage that toy side of the business with Amiibo very effectively. So, you know, you have to wonder if there's other ways they could do it as well. Yeah. And that's a that's a really astute observation of what differentiates the three companies. I mean, Sony, especially with how they've rebounded with PS4 and become this powerhouse again, whereas last gen they kind of struggled. Because they've embraced the sort of consumer side of consumer electronics. Microsoft, on the other hand, has tried to make their Xbox even more like a PC than it already was. <laughs> and so you kind of see, well, why don't I just get a PC? And, and so the, their console side hasn't gotten much, much adoption. Um, well, at the same time, then they're sort of, you know, bringing the Xbox brand back into PC. And they're, they're sort of, they're making a real cohesion between the two platforms right they're yeah. focus, they're focusing on windows as a platform right well and even when xbox was first introduced they were saying oh we it was really introduced as a way to stem the leakage of pc gamers over to playstation um so it, it yeah it seems like this is kind of the logical conclusion of xbox uh, and that's because like he said microsoft is a pc company now that's an interesting comment you said about embracing the consumer electronics side. I would say that Sony has doubled down specifically on the gamers and not the sort of broader audience of consumer electronics. Would you – what exactly do you mean? Well, when, you when I say consumer, I'm, I'm, I mean specifically not just tech enthusiasts but the consumers of tech, which is the mass market. Uh, and, and specifically in this case, the, the larger mainstream gaming audience. Uh, whereas I think PS3 was more of a definitely more of an enthusiast device. I see. You can see. tell just based right, on you know, they, the price. They like to uh, point out the number that about about forty percent of PlayStation Four owners did not own a PlayStation Three. So I think you're right that they're trying to sort of branch out to a larger audience. Mm-hmm. Certainly relative to PS3 at least. Yeah. And uh, I also think it's interesting that he points to Nintendo as a toy company, which yes, that's how they uh, you know they started out was playing cards actually, but. Um, you know, Nintendo, they see themselves as just a, a broader entertainment company. So do you guys think, you know, which which would be the better focus for Nintendo, maximizing their, their IP in a broader sense or focusing more on the toy aspect? Well, I think an entertainment company is, is a much better sort of label for them, especially as they get into these, like, film deals and this amusement park thing. But certainly the toy company is is sort of the root of their success. The Ultra Hand was their first, you know, really successful thing in the modern era of Nintendo, and that was very much a toy. Their their emergence was really sparked by that sort of 70s-era toy manufacturing side of them. And I think that that is sort of the sensibilities that really helped the NES grow hugely. Um, you know, I think that can fit into their self-identification as a entertainment company. Toys are obviously entertaining. And I think their brands have a lot more power as entertainment brands, like Mario, Zelda, Donkey Kong, than they do as toy brands or toy characters. Um, and, you know, if we can see entertainment characters getting toys and we can see great toys coming from these these entertainment worlds. But I don't think that to call them specifically a toy company in the modern era is necessarily accurate anymore. 
Right. That's that's about what I feel about the situation as well. And I, I like what you said about uh, marketing themselves as an entertainment company and then using that entertainment to spawn toys, you know, as sort of a, a follow-up. But I will say if they do want to increase their toy focus, they're going to have to stop making them by hand. Well, yeah. <laughs> uh, if they're going to reach a wide audience with their toys, yes, certainly. You know, I think that whole toy entertainment distinction is, is really useful when you compare them to Disney. Mm-hmm. People imagine Disney as this movie company but they're really not a movie company anymore they're they really are an entertainment company and that means yeah. you know a lot of their stuff is based on their movies but they're producing much much more than just movies that provides a nice transition this was going to be the next talking point afterwards but while we're on the subject miyamoto says that from the beginning he wanted to use mario in a ton of different games that he made and establish mario as essentially the mickey mouse of video games Years later, he feels that this has actually played out, and he feels tremendously fortunate. Obviously, we've got Mario sports games, we've got Mario Kart, we've got Mario in, like, SSX on the GameCube. Um, You know, Mario is doing so many different things. He's not just in that core side-scrolling Super Mario series. And I've seen several polls that say Mario is actually now more identifiable for the public than Mickey Mouse is. I mean, that's a huge level of ubiquity that I'm sure Miyamoto never could have imagined would actually come true. Well, I mean, even if you look beyond what Nintendo themselves do with Mario, Mario is basically the mascot of gaming. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know some people might dispute that and say now Minecraft is the mascot of gaming or whatever. I don't but, know that um, many people would dispute that. <laughs> but Mario certainly is the most enduring character in gaming, and I don't, I don't, th- I don't think that's going to change. Um, and in, in many ways, that makes him even more of a parallel to Mickey Mouse, because Mickey Mouse, in many ways, is the sort of... The mascot of cartoons. And not just cartoons, but even popular cinema. Animated cinema, I would agree with you on. Well, I think... I, I don't like... think movies would be the same without animated cinema. Oh, of course not. Of course not. But I don't think... But, but you you're know... right. You're right. There's a wider world of, of cinema beyond I, I think films. people look at something like frozen and think this came out of a past with mickey mouse you know this was not possible without an era where mickey mouse was king i don't think people look at you know star wars the force awakens and say oh thank god we had mickey mouse now we get star wars although (laughs) well i mean yeah i I said that because it's disney but (laughs) yeah no i see what you're saying yeah people don't associate it really Uh, So I guess now we'll jump back. Two more Nintendo patents have surfaced, possibly giving clues about their upcoming plans. The first one features a touchscreen with haptic feedback, which essentially means that it creates the illusion that what you feel on the touchscreen is actually something more traditionally tactile. You're not just touching glass. You'll, for example, touch the screen, and it might give you a little rumble or pushback. Um, It creates the illusion that you're pushing maybe a button, for example. The patent shows an example of a volume slider that clicks more distinctly to the right as the user slides it in that direction. The second one is for a device with linear image sensors, kind of like a bar scanner, on all four edges of a controller, and that can be used for a variety of purposes. Um, They could detect you touching a surface near the device without actually touching it. Uh, It could scan other devices like Amiibo, and it can even keep track of your hand positions, check your pulse, and more. So when it comes to the second one, you know, a lot of people are, are looking at it and they see it as a handheld device, and so they wonder if this is the the handheld version of NX or something along those lines. But uh, I kind of wonder if this could be related to their quality of life plans, especially when it mentions that it can uh, uh, check your pulse and things like that. That's really interesting. And, you know, we haven't heard anything about their quality of life plans publicly for a while. I mean, it certainly sounds like it couldn't possibly be a controller that's intuitively implemented into the NX. 
Well, unless it's just one of the many options for connected devices for NX. Oh, uh, yeah. You know. I Yeah, I could see that. Uh, especially it's since... It's very odd, though. Yeah, well, I mean, we've seen lately that, that when they talk about their platform, they're really talking about a bunch of different initiatives that are kind of running in parallel. So not j- mm-hmm. even... They even included 3DS and Wii U on their picture of what the future Nintendo platform is going to look like. And those are platforms that certainly aren't designed with the paradigm that they're running with in mind, but they're going to try to integrate them in some way. And that probably would be true for a quality of life device. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. These these patents are... are they're interesting, but... but for in, in terms of interfaces, what what always strikes me about you know how Nintendo looks at the future is when their interfaces are successful, it's because the interfaces are being designed to solve specific challenges about things they want to achieve with their games. Here we kind of have these interface ideas, but they're not really attached to any particular game application. So it's well, hard. I will say Nintendo has been repeating time and again that the reason that touchscreen gaming, specifically uh, mobile games, are far inferior to console gaming is that you don't have the tactile response of pushing a button. The idea behind this haptic feedback specifically is that you're making a touchscreen feel more like a traditional button. So I don't... Some people I've heard think that maybe they're working on their own smartphone. I don't think that's necessarily true. I mean, maybe that would be pretty radical, though. Um, Well, I I certainly think if they're going to continue to use a touchscreen, haptic feedback is a great user experience edition yes. uh, regardless of what they're doing with it um but it's hard for me to kind of get excited about what the p- possibilities might be yeah when, of course when for example we was not something you would have been able to easily understand until you saw we sports we did almost didn't make sense without we sports yeah and and that sort of applies to these kinds of concepts too like until we see what they're making of them i don't really know if these are just technologies or if these are technologies that are going to make the games better right you know yeah, absolutely. Characters from Fire Emblem and Xenoblade Chronicles are joining Project Cross Zone 2. You may remember the first game as this big tactics RPG crossover between Sega, Capcom, and Bandai Namco. It's got a boatload of characters from a ton of franchises that these companies own, like Mega Man. Uh, I think there's some Sonic stuff, but obviously, you know, Tekken and a ton of stuff. But now, Lucina and Krom are joining the cast, alongside Fiora from Xenoblade Chronicles. Now, this game is coming to North America on February 16th, 2016. Now, in Project Cross Zone, some characters work in pairs as a single unit, while others work on their own. It's kind of like pairing up characters in Fire Emblem Awakening, except you just can't change the pairs around. But Krom and Lucina will work as a pair unit, while Fiora is teaming up as a pair with Cosmos from Xenosaga. So, the thing I'm a little bit surprised about is no Shulk? Yeah, I was really surprised by that too. Um, yeah, I don't think that's the kind of fan service uh, Project Cross Zone is about. I'm Why? honestly surprised we got Krom and not some other character from Fire Emblem like uh, Tharja what? What or... It? Really? I mean, I don't have a lot of experience. This is a very sort of gratuitous fan service sort of game in terms of its character selections. Well, but I mean, wouldn't the greatest fan service be promoting the main character from that game? They're by far the most popular. They may not have I don't think you understand what I mean when I say issues. fan service. <laughs> I think I do. I think I do. Uh, but perhaps I talk to more girls who think that Krom is the hottest thing ever. Than oh, you yeah, do. that's that's a possibility. <laughs> I mean, also, as a pair with, with Cosmos, I think Fiora is the better choice. I won't get into why that is, because well, yeah, people but they may have, or may like, not Shulk have played Xenoblade Chronicles, but um, for, for like, story-related reasons. 
it's still just a surprise. I would imagine that a move like this is largely to get more people interested in Project Cross Zone, and because obviously Nintendo can benefit from the licenses and stuff. But you know, I would imagine they would want to have the high, some of the highest profile characters, and not just Fiora from Xenoblade Chronicles, which is a character that only people who have played Xenoblade Chronicles are going to know, and not that many people have played Xenoblade Chronicles. Well, had Shulk not been in Smash Bros, let's just be honest, would anyone know who Shulk is who hasn't played Xenoblade Chronicles? No, but, I mean, the point is Shulk is in Smash Bros, so that would convince more people to buy Project Cross Zone 2 than Fiora. Maybe, I don't know. I'm not so sure. Mm. I mean, Xenoblade's not one of those those franchises that depends on, like, a, a headliner character by any means, except for maybe the Nopon, which are, like, the unofficial That's mascots. also true. I mean, I think they chose Xenoblade because it just fits in so well with the sort of JRPG kind of idea of Project Cross Zone. Well, and but also still, if they're going to choose a Xenoblade Chronicle... The game. Are they? Yep. Yeah, they're really? co-developers. Oh, mm-hmm. wow. Okay. Well, um... That's why the Xenosaga character's in. Oh, okay. I see. You know, nonetheless, you know, I would imagine they would want a character with the bigger name recognition so that they could get more people interested well, in the game. I you know, think... not necessarily the more enthusiastic people about fan service and characters like Tharja and Fiora, but... <laughs> I'm going to spill the beans on the spoiler, so if, Don't... if anyone hasn't played Xenoblade Chronicles... I haven't played it! Oh, okay. Well, then I won't, I won't spoil the story. Fiora is a, Fiora is no. a, better, a better pair for, for, for Cosmos. Okay. For reasons I won't spoil. Well, that but Shulk could be in as a standalone unit. Yeah, that's true. I was never. I was. Yeah, that's anyway. true. That is um, true. Can't argue with that. <laughs> you all no doubt know last year's terribly received Sonic Boom games, and Sega has previously promised that they learned their lesson for the sequel, Sonic Boom Fire and Ice. And it looks like they're making good on their promise, or at least trying to, as the game has been delayed to 2016 in order to make sure that it gets the polish it needs. Will it get the polish it needs? I don't know. In order to hopefully make sure it gets the polish it needs. Uh, yeah, good move. I think we all agree. Yeah. We'll see if it winds up mattering, though. Well, you know? yeah. It's yeah. better than if it hadn't, though, I'm sure. Maybe. Delays always mean they're sinking more money into it. They don't always mean they're going to sell better. That is true. You know? But if it's another horrible failure, that's just another hor- horrible, horrible shot in the foot for... A hedgehog who already has really, really terribly crippled. If they want to keep uh, Sonic Boom going as sort of its own standalone brand alongside the TV show, then, you know, maybe maybe your first year having bad games is something people can get over if you follow it up with a successful sequel. But if you Mm -hmm. come out with a terrible sequel, I mean, I think that even if sinking more money into it, maybe they won't get a return on that in the short term. But I think tarnishing your brand further just, you know, makes it impossible for you ever to make money on these games going forward. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if... If the delay does wind up making it a game that's worth playing, then yes, of course it will be worth it. But, you know, skepticism. She's playing Splatoon. (laughs) (laughs) Before we jump into the lightning round, we got a few things that launched recently that I think we should take a moment to discuss. Uh, First up is Skylander Superchargers, alongside the DK and Bowser crossover amiibo, all of which are available now on 3DS, Wii, Wii U, and of course, your desk, if you can find them. Referring to the amiibo, of course. I'm assuming none of us have played this. I'm assuming none of us intend to play it. I would love to actually have the crossover amiibo, but I'm not actually willing to buy the games to get the crossover amiibo. (laughs) And that's pretty much sums up my feelings about Skylanders. Is that just mostly because you're not interested in Skylanders or you don't think it's good enough? I don't have the desire to get swept into the Skylanders sort of (laughs) scheme. 
Mm-hmm. You're already involved with Amiibo. Another one is just right. too much. I mean, and I would probably be more willing to try out an Amiibo-focused game because I have an investment in Amiibo apart mm-hmm. from a game. Mm-hmm. And plus it works with a bunch of my other games. Right. You know, to varying degrees of satisfaction. Amiibo tap. Nintendo's greatest <laughs> bits. <laughs> oh, greatest. That's a word I'll associate with that. Those um, bits are great. <laughs> Not necessarily the platform through which they're delivered. Right, exactly. Uh, um, we also got a new map for Splatoon called Hammerhead Bridge, which you, you can dive in and play right now if you are interested. Uh, well, I don't know if it's in rotation, but it's available. Um, Alex, I understand you were able to play once. Yeah. I know I I could not get on. I didn't have time. Um, and when I did, it was not in rotation. And Ben doesn't have Splatoon because he's a criminal. It's true. <laughs> I I would manage to play it while it was in rotation on Splatfest. Um, I see. I find it really interesting that it sort of takes some of the ideas uh, from a level design perspective that we've seen in other mm-hmm. levels, like the sort of catwalks that we saw on Kelp Dome mm-hmm. and the sort of sprawling long corridor-like map, uh, sort of like uh, the warehouse. Okay. And it sort of combines those two elements together. So you have a, a, a map that, whereas Kelp Dome was very round and spread out, uh, this is a very narrow corridor style map, like I said. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of, I feel like it's a lot more hectic uh, than Kelp Dome while still having the sort of verticality and uh, interplay between the catwalks and the lower level. Okay, nice. So, so you ultimately, did you like it? I, I've been kind of, I mean, not negative about the Splatoon stage DLC, but I, I do think that the ones that have been coming out over the course of, you know, this the summer and the fall have not been nearly as good as the five that launched with the game. Really? Yeah. What, what are your thoughts? On I that? feel like they're not as approachable. Maybe that's the best way I'd describe Maybe. it. Maybe. I, I feel like they reward high level play a lot better, though. Okay. Um, for example, if you can get a really good team on uh, Moray Towers... Well, but when do you ever get a really good team in Splatoon, ever? <laughs> it, it happens sometimes. <laughs> You're right, though. Like, having having teammates that drag you down is yeah, like it's, the, it's, the it's one. Yeah, it's not often. I, I think high skill bar stages, especially when there's a rotation of two stages at a time, high skill bar stages are not something that works well with Splatoon. Yeah, that's fair. And maybe that's why you have the feeling that you do. Um, yeah. Because it's certainly, it, it's harder to get a really great match out of some of the DLC levels. But mm-hmm. when you get a great match, it's a great it's match. Really, okay. Okay. I mean, part of my issue is I haven't really had the time to sink my teeth into Splatoon nearly as much over the course of sort of like August and September. Yeah, um, I, I have had I the time, like but my wife has taken were... over. <laughs> She's played 160 hours, 170 hours, whereas I've played like 50 hours. So, yeah. Okay. And last but not least, Shovel Knight Plague of Shadows has launched as free DLC for both Wii U and 3DS. It's almost a whole new game in itself, where you play as the mad scientist Plague Knight from, of course, the original Shovel Knight. He was a boss. Some of the levels have been redesigned a little bit. You're playing through basically the same structure and the same levels, but Plague Knight plays in this so radically different way from Shovel Knight. It really feels like a whole new game. Have you guys had the chance to play it much? Yeah, I've played it a little bit, so I haven't gotten a whole lot of time into it, but it really mm-hmm. does make it feel like a different game just because the yeah. the you know the way everything handles is completely different. You have to rethink Well and the item system too is yeah. is completely different, which Wait. I really appreciate. But you have to rethink your platforming, you have to rethink mm-hmm. your attack structure, your attack strategies. 
Um, I found, just in my limited experience, that navigating the levels was a little trickier for me. Uh, it didn't come as easily, but um, I've only beaten the one boss, just the, the Black Knight or whatever is that okay. you fight first, but he was a piece of cake for me. So in my limited experience, level explore- exploration is a little tougher, but boss fights are easier. Yeah, I think I've found that to be generally true as well. Um, I really like the way he plays, though, with Mm -hmm. the explosions and the flying. It's so much fun to fly around. Uh, Once you get to the first town, you can also get this upgrade where um, instead of, like, jumping way across, he'll jump, like, kind of far across and then start floating instead of Mm -hmm. uh, just falling down in the same direction as before, which is so much fun. I mean, that just flying around and throwing bombs down diagonally, so satisfying. I'm... I might be liking Plague of Shadows better than the original game. My favorite moment so far is when you go to your uh, secret hideout, Plague Knight's secret hideout, mm-hmm. you can kill your minions. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I really like that. And I like, uh, minor spoiler alert, it's not even a spoiler. Uh, there's this little hedgehog who's, like, guarding your house for you. <laughs> and once you get the secret entrance, I mean, you to get the secret entrance, you basically blow the house up. And it's in, <laughs> in chars, and the, the hedgehog goes, that was the house I grew up in. <laughs> Yes. Oh, so it's it's fun to play as the bad guy, but yeah. I'm really, have you tried the challenge mode at all? No, I haven't. Is it any good? Okay. Uh, yeah. I mean, I barely gotten to scratch the surface. I haven't even completed one. I just sort of tested a handful of them out uh, for a moment. But good stuff. I liked that. And since I was shamed for not owning Splatoon earlier, Alex does not own Shovel Knight. Yeah, get out of here, dude. Uh, <laughs> I was hoping you've got to get come it. Up. You've got to get it. I know. I'll get it someday. As always, to conclude the news segment of this week's show, we're bringing you a lightning round with little nuggets of information. If you want to read more about any of the stories we discussed above or anything you hear about in the upcoming lightning round, you can check them out at gamnesia.com. The latest podcast episode will show up in the scrolling feature bar at the top of the site, and on that page, you will be able to see all these links uh, for, for these discussion topics. September 25th, Animal Crossing Happy Home Designer and the smaller model new Nintendo 3DS launch in North America. The 3DS is, of course, already available in Europe, but the game launches on October 2nd. September 27th marks the launch of LEGO Dimensions in North America. September 30th is when the Super Mario Maker stage is coming to Smash Bros. and when Club Nintendo Europe closes down. Project Cross Zone 2, again, comes to North America on February 16th, 2016. And Pokemon Symphonic Evolutions, the incredible orchestral Pokemon concert tour, is coming to Europe, premiering in London this December. Tickets go on sale in about a week, but you can get them right now here with us. You can find more information at Gamnesia.com. And then a few general facts from last week and reminders for you. An awesome Smash Bros. mod gives Ganondorf two new movesets featuring his sword, magic, and more. We've got new footage of Toon Link and the Wind Waker campaign thanks to a new Hyrule Warriors Legends trailer. We've also got footage of the first 45 minutes of Pokemon Super Mystery Dungeon. Super Mario Maker has a glitch that makes you totally impervious to damage. You can watch the Super Mario dev team take on a tough level inspired by 8-bit gaming. Fire Emblem Fates is getting a second wave of DLC. Metroid Prime Hunters is headed to the Wii U Virtual Console in Japan. No word on an international release, but I'm sure it won't be long. Some retailers are delaying the physical release of Shovel Knight to November 3rd. Xbox boss Phil Spencer wishes Kimishima well in his new role as Nintendo's president. Ace Attorney 6 lets you cross-examine the dead. Ace Attorney and Monster Hunter Stories are both getting anime series next year. We've also got new off-screen gameplay footage of Monster Hunter Stories, as well as its full stage event from the Tokyo Game Show. You can play as felines in Monster Hunter X, as confirmed by an action-packed new trailer. Capcom has also debuted tons of footage of the game in a live stream, which you can check out at Gamnesia. 
Yokai Watch and Super Smash Bros. dominate the Japan Game Awards. A trailer has been released for the Yokai Watch anime in North America. GameStop is offering a amiibo bundle with Ganondorf, Olimar, Zero Suit Samus, and Classic Mario. Miyamoto, Reggie, and more of Nintendo's higher-ups share their fondest memories of Super Mario. Someone has created a classic Game Boy that also happens to be a full-sized, fully functional electric guitar. And finally, Nintendo wanted Happy Home Designer to ease new players into Animal Crossing games. Unfortunately, guys, we don't have time to do some questions, so thank you all so much for listening. This is the Endo Nintendo Week for today. If you like this podcast, please subscribe to us on iTunes or subscribe to us on YouTube at Gamnesia TV for bite-sized discussions from the show. And please head to iTunes to leave us a review. It really helps with visibility, so we greatly appreciate it, especially if you have good things to say instead of bad ones. If you have feedback for Nintendo Week, please send it to colinatgamnesia.com. And remember to send in your questions about Nintendo, about our show. We love engaging with you guys, and we read them and talk about them here on the show, so it's a great way to get involved. Again, that's colinatgamnesia.com, C-O-L-I-N, at G-A-M-N-E-S-I-A. And uh, I know we didn't get to some questions this week, but I promise soon we will. And if you can't wait till next week for more of our stuff, you can head to Gamnesia.com to see more gaming news as it happens. We've got Sony, Microsoft, Indie, you name it, and even Nintendo news that we didn't have the time to discuss on this week's show. Thank you all so much for listening, and we hope you have another great week. Former Xbox head Reggie Bach was asked about Nintendo's low sales this generation, and he responded by... What did I say? Reggie. (laughs)